Welcome to the Shurim of Rabbi Yosef Weiner. At the conclusion of the recording, please listen for ordering information of other tapes, CDs, and videos. I got a call a few months back from Rabbi Pesach Lerner, the Executive Vice President of the National Council of Young Israel. He called me with a message from Jonathan Pollard. So when he told me he had a message, I told him he had the wrong person. I asked him who he wanted to speak to. So he said, is Rabbi Yosef Weiner a good soul of Flatbush? I said, yeah. He said, he asked me to call you to convey the message that he would like to see me. So I said, why does he want to see me? He doesn't even know me. So he told me, interestingly enough, I gave a Hakel Shear, I guess about a year ago. And somebody reprinted it. As a matter of fact, it was Daniel Karaman. He reprinted it in a local paper, and then he sent it in to the Madia as well. And 95% of what you send to that federal prison doesn't get there. And this Modia happened to make it in. In the Modia, they reprinted the shear. And apparently, he liked the shear. I asked Rabbi Lerner, I said, he probably has lots of shear, and he likes us, and requests to see other people. And he says, it happens to be the shear you were discussing, if anybody remembers, it was, uh, I believe, given here, concerning issues that uh, were very nagea to him uh, as a yachid, and uh, he liked what he saw, and he wanted to discuss it with me in person. And he offered to come. I went as well as Shlomo Mataski, who was his president, and Rabbi Amon came with us as well. And we went. The trip was a trip that I'm not going to forget. It's very unnerving. When you get in, you get a prep at the airport where they're already asking you to take off your shoes. But the airport security is nothing compared to the prison. The security is so stark that on the way out, I had to go through, they stamp your hand with some invisible... Uh, type of ink and something the computer can read and I understand that they want to know who you are on the way out I had to re-register and I asked them I'm leaving now what do you have to they told me with a straight face we want to make sure it's you it's just a very very depressing I mean you never saw so much barbed wire in your life they, they mean serious business although the place that we actually sat down with him was a, a nice lunchroom like a cafeteria area but it was extremely unnerving when you sat and you talked to somebody I spoke to him for three hours and the guard there never left the room, always with an earshot to make sure I didn't say anything that could possibly bring down the government or uh, cause a major world conflict or something to that effect. Uh, they still treat him after 18 years in prison as the public enemy number one. Uh, for those of you who are not familiar with the case, briefly, he was a young intelligence officer and he was as intelligence officers are supposed to do, gather information that's supposed to be useful for America and her allies. That means Israel. At that time, America had a treaty with Israel that any information, sensitive information that would come through would be nagat to the safety and security of the Jews living in Israel would be passed on to the Israeli government. And he was working, so it makes this issue so incredible, Tafka this year, we see the American government had to undo everything they did in Iraq. And lo and behold, he started gathering information that they had sites, chemical compounds, which L'Chaira were building and putting together material for biological warfare against her enemies and her enemies, Iran, Eretz Yisrael, the Yidden. And he passed it on to his superiors and they told him after he requested to send it very quickly to Eretz Yisrael, to our ally, who we had a treaty with, they told him to mind his own business. Uh, he's not allowed to send it. 
But he said, what do you mean, my man? Business is a treaty. There are people in Sakana, there are three million Yidin over there, and he's going to use this stuff. And they told him not to send it, and they told him to mind his own business. He took it up a number of levels. He's just a young uh, officer. He took it up a number of levels. Everybody told him to mind his own business. And he realized that he's not getting any cooperation from our wonderful ally. Obviously, this is at a time where they believe that Saddam Hussein was going to be the moderate who's going to stabilize everything in the Middle East. You know, it's amazing he'd tell the story a few years later. And uh, they wanted to ignore the fact they weren't scared about any biological weapons. They weren't looking for anything at that time. And the fact that he had some, well, no threat to America, so it was basically none of their concern. That's when he decided to steal the information, it's called spying, and to send it off to Israel anyway, which he did over a period of time. And because Israel got this information, they were able to prepare themselves for the Gulf War. All the gas mess and all the information about what could possibly be coming came from Jonathan Pollard. The Americans did not give the Israelis that information. And we look back, Mahmoud al-Islan, had he used it, had those scuds been tipped with chemical warheads, it would have been horrible, and that's a nice word, had nobody had a gas mask. And the American who had the information, they knew the information, they still didn't tell the Israelis. Part anti-Semitism, other reasons also, it's a very complicated topic which I won't go into, it took a lot of our discussion, but it's not for now. Uh, suffice it to say that he felt that despite the fact that spying is uh, prohibited, and he got in serious trouble, he felt that if millions of Yidner in Sakani has no choice. A Yid who was not from who did it L'shem Shemaim, did it because he wanted to protect Eretz Yisrael. He was ultimately caught, the story of Bifnei Atzma, uh, he was basically uh, shot out by some Israelis. They ran to the embassy and they didn't let him in, which they later claimed was a mistake. That's again a whole separate move. Lots of Pashat what goes on over there. And there are good Jews and then there are Jews who uh, do things for other reasons, unfortunately. And uh, the uh, FBI arrested him right outside the Israeli embassy as he was trying to get in. He had a trial, and bear in mind that if you're caught spying for an ally, the typical maximum sentence is up to four years. And he was given a lawyer, they later found out with no Jew lover himself, and he wasn't aware, and this is a problem in the due process of law in this country, it was the apostasies, was a mistrial. He wasn't aware of some of the things being held against him. He wasn't aware of some of the accusations being held. At the final days of the trial, right before the PSAC, Casper Weinberger walked in and gave a whole secret memo about all the horrible things he did, which nobody ever saw, and his own counsel wasn't able to see it, which is unusual in America, one would like to think. And he never had access to it. His lawyer never had access to it. He only found out about it after, his, after he was sentenced. And Casper Weinberger tainted, and still tainted many, many years later, that what he did was uh, a terrible, terrible detriment to national security, and he was the worst spy they ever had and did the most damage, which was ludicrous. He passed information to an ally. And then they made up a whole ridiculous story how he caused American agents to be assassinated in Russia because the Russians got a hold of this information after it was passed on the Israelis because there was a Russian spy in Israel. So since he passed on information to the Israelis about Iraq, the Russians got a hold of it and ended up shifting the balance of power. Now, it's interesting, the person who came up with that ridiculous theory was a fellow by the name of Ames. I don't know if anybody remembers this. <laughs> and it became quite clear later on why Ames was looking for escape. It's just happily, you couldn't write a better book than this. But the Pell is, this is the, the, the real life is always more fascinating than fiction. So Ames wrote a whole damage report 
besides what Caspar Weinberger wrote, a whole damage report on all the horrible possible nafkaminas that can come about because this thing fell into Israeli hands and then fell into Russian hands, and how the whole free world is going to crumble because the Russians have all this information. And then, a few years later, they found out that Ames was the worst Russian spy ever in the history of the United States. Of course, he was building a plot to cover up for himself, so he found a good scapegoat to, to answer up why things are going wrong in Russia. It's not because of Ames, it must be because of Pollard. There were, to their credit, there were some senators who, after they heard that Ames is behind all this, this happened years later, they reversed their position on Pollard. Of course, the fact that people reversed their position doesn't help him much. He's still rotting in jail, which is part of the uh, horrific story over here. It's known that there are many, many spies who were spying for enemy countries, like the Soviet Union, and uh, they were given five years. I have a list over here. Uh, James Wood got two years, and Richard Miller got 20 years. He's freed after five. Michael Walker got 25 years. He's freed after 15. The only one sitting in jail still is Ames and a guy named Richard Hansen, and they were spying for an enemy country. He was spying for Israel. All these tainas are very plain and simple. They have fallen completely on deaf ears because it's an unwritten rule in the intelligence establishment that the facts are not important and they don't want to be confused by the facts. And for some reason, a lot of it, unbeknownst to us, they want him in jail. Caspar Weinberger, you could say, look, he uh, has Jewish stock. Maybe he feels very uncomfortable. And the truth is, American jury uh, feels very uncomfortable about Pollard. They'd rather him stay in jail because he represents their worst nightmare. Always being accused of being... Uh, Dual, uh, having dual loyalties and dual citizenship. And uh, we try to bend them backwards to show them that we're not. And Jonathan Pollard brings up all the mudslinging that all people want to, all the Russian horror that all people want to talk about the Eden. So many people would wish the entire subject would just go away. And the problem is, is that what he did was extremely serious and He did it for Yidin. And it's irrelevant whether it's comfortable or not. The fascist is that we have no right to sell him down the river. We can't sell him down the river just because he was caught, as the Israelis did. It took the Israelis many, many, many years to wake up to the fact that uh, they have an Akhrayas to him. Netanyahu, to his credit, tried. And he was also double-crossed by somebody. And I don't know where this tape is going to go. I don't want to be called to the Pentagon for an interview. So, uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll leave the rest of the names out. But all this is documented, and all this is uh, painfully obvious. As I mentioned, we had a long discussion with him. And before I went, I was asked by many people in the shul why I'm going. I said, what's the shadow why I'm going? So one fellow said very pointedly, he said, well, you really can't do anything for him anyway. So when you go down, you're just going to cause him to become more aggravated. He's going to meet another person and get his hopes up. And then you're going to leave and you really can't do anything. So what's the point of going down to visit? A very good question. The answer to the question I think is a very important insight into chesed in general, and it's something I learned from the trip. I had this idea beforehand, but I didn't see it so clearly. There are two objectives I had in going down. One is to possibly find out if there's anything that we as a community can do. There is a certain amount of shtadlis we can do, the information that you can get if you're interested and you should be interested. Even though the odds are highly stacked against him, and it would take a minor miracle. He's now, he has two new lawyers in the case. All they're doing is asking for a fair trial. They're asking for any amnesty. They're not asking for any pardon. They're asking for a fair trial. He never had a trial where he was aware of all the facts and all the charges against him. He was never afforded that right, that, that God-given right that every American has. They never had it. They're just asking for a trial. 
and the file, every time it's opened up in a smaller court, they get uh, memos from way high up. This touches a raw nerve every time it's brought up anywhere in Capitol Hill, and they just tell them to close the file. They're interested in talking about it. It's 18 years in the making. So, first objective is to see what hashtaglis can be done. Second objective is, and this is the chesed, the chesed lesson over here, is that many times we're faced with tremendous problems that people have. And we feel that the problems are so incredible, so insurmountable, that we can't do anything anyway, therefore, why bother? And the answer is twofold. First of all, as soon as you show somebody you're involved, and you show somebody that you care, that itself gives him the will and the desire to live. The biggest nice is the fact that he's alive and sane. And I asked him, what keeps you sane? The conditions he lives on, it just, jails are dangerous. I asked him how dangerous, I'll leave out most of the other stories, but just one dogma. He said he's walking down the path between two buildings the other day, and somebody was walking three or four feet ahead of him, and he was jumped by two other inmates, and they beat him up, and left him in blood unconscious. Now what do you do if you see that happen right in front of you? So I asked him, what do you do? He says, I do what everybody else does in prison. I walk straight forward and look straight forward and ignore it. Because if you make a comment, they get you next. Prison is a dangerous place. We talk about pigeons shrilling. He's in Sakana every day. It's dangerous. It's not healthy. Had a medical issue a number of years ago. It took weeks and weeks and months and months of red tape till they got him to a place and give him a CAT scan. They wouldn't let him out. And they said, we have a doctor that comes by. I can imagine the doctors that come to a prison. We have doctors that come by. But to get him out to a real medical facility, it took tremendous, tremendous calling senators and congressmen just to get him a, a decent medical checkup. It's a dangerous place to be, and it's an unhealthy place to be, and most of all, it's extremely depressing. You can go insane, especially if the only normal person there, which is more or less the case. And I, Baruch Hashem, found him not only sane, but very intelligent, very articulate, and extremely, extremely impressive in his level of frumkeit, his bitachan, and his amuna, which I will get to in a few minutes. I asked him, what... Keeps him alive. He said, you know what keeps me alive? I live from visit to visit. The fact that a few people come down every three, four months, that's all they allow. Gives me the will to live because I see people care. They can't do something, they can't do something. A different discussion. But somebody cares. It's an important lesson of Chesed. You have people that you know, and you know you can't do anything. You think you can't do anything for them. It's irrelevant. Talk to them. Find out how they're doing. The mere fact that you ask gives them chiyas. It's an incredibly important lesson. Third thing I accomplished, I didn't even realize this at the time. I'd be happy if I just got some information, give him a little chizik. What I didn't realize is that the person who got the most chizik in the room was me. I told him this when I left. I told him I want to thank him for giving me the opportunity to come down, to give him chizik, and I want to thank him for the chizik he gave me, and I told him I was going to speak about Barabin, so people should understand what we'll be talking at Real Amun is. Jonathan Pollard was not from at all. He was a typical assimilated American Jew, had strong feelings for Jews and for the state of Israel. This is better than some other Yidden who are completely lost, but Shemitah Mitzvah's no connection. Unfortunately, Layelena, if any of us were ever in this matzav, Layelena Rahmanul Islam, starting off from, I would shudder to think of the consequences of what this would do to Arbitachan and Amunah. I hope I'm wrong. 
and I hope we never test it. To have somebody who goes in with no training in what Akash Baruch Hu is all about, no training in Betachan and Amunah, and through a terrible, terrible Misa where his own fellow Jews turned their back, Israelis, Americans, the establishment, the American establishment clearly has turned their back, would give anybody who originally had some Betachan enough ammunition to make him a confirmed atheist. And he's a man of steel. He's also a very brilliant person. You can see from talking to him. And he took the entire ordeal from beginning to end and used it as a lesson of Bitochen and Amuna. I came down with some Divrei Torah to tell him. I didn't get a word in edgewise with the Divrei Torah department. He was too busy telling me Divrei Torah. Tell me Pshatim about Yosef from the bar and about our Kosh Baruch was not taking him out a minute before he deserves to get out. And about the whole process. Tell him. And this is the person who went in not from, who figured out by himself, because Baruch was running the world, and no matter what help I'm not getting from other Yidin and from other human beings, it's all up to Akash Baruch Hu. talks about an interesting concept of Bitochan and Amunah. Pais Vayishlach, Yaakov was faced with a tremendous challenge of having Esau with his army coming to kill him. And the Pasuk says, the Rashi there brings down, what was he afraid of? He was afraid that he was neslachlech b'chait. He didn't know of any Averis. Had he known of them, he would have done tshuva already. He was afraid maybe there's something he missed, and maybe there's some Avera, and he would get killed or hurt because of this Avera. And then the Pasuk tells you that he was machazik himself with tefillah. He did his proper heshtadlis as well. And then, when Esau shows up, he's ready for him. So it's very interesting, Rabbi Indiana points out. Sounds like he's scared to death, literally. And then, a few seconds later, he's facing up face of like a man. So what happened in between? Where was the transformation? What hashkafic undertone do we have over here? So Indiana says, Asher that's why she brings down, which means that a person like who goes through a traumatic, dangerous situation, the first reaction is fear from Avera, not from human beings. This is for Abala Bitochem. And after he has fear, the fear is supposed to get him to think about where he's holding and do tshuva. And then he should pull himself together and focus on Bitochem, which means the fear and the Bitochem are not a stira. We would think it's a big contradiction. If you're Abala Bitochem, you shouldn't have fear. And all the Mephoshim say, where's Yaakov Bitochem? So Ben Yedda says, that's not a stira. The first thing Hashem wants from you is to fear. Because if you don't fear, and everything is like a regular day. So then nobody's waking up. Yaakov says, this is coming for a reason. I have to stop and think, maybe there's an Avera here. And then he does tshuva for any possible Avera. And now he's ready. And Ben Yedda gives an example from Yosef and the brothers. The shift they call left. The vice is giving them a rough time. First word is Haroda. They panicked. And they said, okay, we're panicking, we're up now. What does Hashem want from us? And that is the mouth, there's nothing wrong with fear. And Jonathan Pollard, the way he described it to me, went through apparently, if you notice Rabbi Yehuda, he went through this metamorphosis. Extremely frightening. He spent, in the early years, a year and a half in a prison that was about six or seven levels below the ground. He never saw the light of day come out. It was a special prison for prisoners who had dementia and had AIDS. He was the only normal person without AIDS in the entire ward. He couldn't take a bath for a year. 
He was afraid he would contract AIDS. When they put him in there, they took his clothing and his glasses away. This is the U.S. government. They took his clothing and his glasses away. They couldn't see much. He had to wear thick glasses. And he was wrapped in a blanket for a year and a half. And the only time he was taken out to be spoken to was once a month when an FBI agent came and sat him down at a desk with a stack of computer printouts of thousands of names of who's who in the Jewish community. And they asked him to check off which one of them are spies for Israel. And if he cooperates, they'll move him to a better prison. I don't know, we would last three hours. And to his credit, he never checked off one name. Even if he knew. I don't know what he knew, but even if he knew, he didn't check off anything. And he sat there for a year and a half, and the only reason he left is because there was a lot of political pressure. But on the time when he was lost, they didn't even know which, which, which prison he was in. They couldn't get the information. So, forget the fact that he had a life sentence, which is uh, about 80 years above what he should have gotten. Uh, they're not willing to review it. And he wasn't treated, certainly in the early years, he wasn't treated as a prisoner would normally be treated. And they were trying to get information from him. What does this mean for us? Again, in terms of Ishtadlis, he told me that there are many people who are very up on the news of where it's holding. It's certainly Rabbi Pesach Lerner, National Council, who has, to his credit, been very, very involved all these years and has not forgotten about him. He calls him. He can't afford to buy food. The kosher rations that come in often have maggots and worms that are not edible, and he has to buy from the canteen, and he can't afford it. He sends him money. He has X amount of minutes he can call out. He calls him, and he's very involved, and has been. And again, the reason why he's still alive, I believe, is because people have an interest. Somebody. He's well aware that most people don't, but somebody is still asking if he's alive and what we can do for him. The first thing I think we have to focus on is the ability, not in regular tefillah, I'll get to that soon, but the ability to stir up Midas Arachamim and Shamayim. In Shaiftim and Perik Vav, the Pasik says, Vayatsa B'nai Yisrael Harab Eni Hashem, Vayitnem Hashem, Vyad Midian Shavashonim. Midian came, creating havoc in Eretz Yisrael. Vahayam Zari Yisrael, Vahala Midian, Vahamalak B'nai Kenda, Vahala Olav. Every time they had a farming season and all the food was ready, the Midianim would come in and take everything. This meant that there was Massive hunger in Eretz Yisrael. V'yachanu aleim v'yashchisu as evil lawyers. They would destroy everything, or take everything. V'layashiru michia b'Yisrael v'sev shavachamar. Took animals, took crops. At the time in Eretz Yisrael, they didn't have nothing to eat. V'yedal Yisrael ma'ayd b'nei midyan v'yizaku b'nei Yisrael l'Hashem. They cried out to Hakadosh Baruch Hu, as is the theme in Shemitim. V'yavo malach Hashem v'yeshav tachas ha'el l'Hashem ba'afra Hashem liyayish avi ha'ezri v'gidain b'noi chayvet. He came and Gidon, who we don't know yet, Gidon was there processing wheat in a gas. Now, a gas is not used for processing wheat. He did it, the Pasuk says, because he was trying to hide whatever food processing they had to do from the Minjanim. The little food that they had. Hashem sent a malach to him to give him a shalom aleichem and to give him a remez that you are going to be the next shayfei to save Klai Yisrael. Listen to this answer. Be'erim is the first time he ever spoke to a malach. He said, have a question. If Hashem is really with us, why is this happening to us? 
Aloy mi Mitzrayim, Elonu Hashem. Hashem did Nisim for us by Yitzis Mitzrayim. Vato nitashonu Hashem v'yedneinu bekaf midjun. Now Hashem has forsaken us. Rashi over here says, sounds like an outburst. Talking to a Malach, where they knew he was talking to a Malach, he knew he was talking about some Shliach. The Hashem's on my side. Why is this happening? Why are we in so much trouble? Rashi says, the Malach came to him, Pesach, this is Chalamoy. The reason he's working on the wheat is because it was a Dabra of it. They had no food. So he's working on Chalamoy. Amalah Emesh, Hikrani Abba, Esahalel. His father was not the firmest person in the world. Didn't come from a family of Gainim. But they had a Seder. And last night at the Seder, my father told me that there were Nisim in the flows when we left Mitzrayim, and we read Halel. Now, at this present time in history, we're not seeing any Nisim in the flows. And he had a Taina. Listen to this Taina. If our forefathers were Tzadikim, so let's have some Chusavis. And if in Mitzrayim they were Rishayim, Kishem Sha'asa Haim Nifloisa Pinam, which means Hashem did listen for them for free. Kain Yasalonu Vayekel Nifloisa, so we're the Nisim, which means he had a Tainim. I demand Nisim, Manashah. If they were great, we have Chosav. If they weren't great, so we're not so great either. What kind of way is that to talk to a Kosh Baruch? So what is a Kosh Baruch who's answer to this? You would think one word, Achutzpah. What kind of, kind of way is this to answer? Next passage, Ve'ifen elav Hashem. Not only was Hashem pleased with the answer, he decided to get rid of the Malach and he's going to speak to him directly. Ve'ifen elav Hashem v'yamer lech b'kaychachazeh. You are my leader. You will go with this kaych v'ashatah et Yisrael mikav midjan haloish lachticha. You're my man and the job starts tomorrow morning. What got him the job? You would think there's a resume over here. He's got to be something. He, he's a, a nobody here. L'chera. And Sam, not only is he not a, a great Tamachachim, he's not from the Gedele Adar, not from the Moshchashu and Meshbachas, but the only one thing we know about him is that he had Tainas on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And Hashem says, you're my man. So Rashi over here says, what's the Kayach? Lech Bekeich HaChazeh. This is a crucial Rashi. Bekeich HaChazeh, Bekeich HaZchus HaZeh, Shedemadata Senegaria Albanai. All you have to do is speak up and demand that in Shemayim they have Rachamim for Yidin and for Kalei Yisrael. And Hashem loves you. I wouldn't say exactly like this. You have to know who he is. He was still well beyond what we can imagine in Madrega. Just according to his Dara, we don't find he was necessarily one of the Gedele Adar. Hashem is Paskening in Bitochen and Amuna and Limas Chus and Klaitzel. He's the God of Adar. The first rule of thumb is that if you don't demand and feel it in a proper way, don't draw any circles. You have to know who you are. But you can demand in a certain way that Takash Baruch Hu has a matzav with the Tachil Hashem going on. A year is Mitzah Nefesh for Klai Yisrael. He's sitting in jail. No one's doing anything. The first thing is to demand that justice be served. That the man itself causes Midas HaRachmim to come to the fore. It's an important yesoy. You've got to ask for it. That the idea of Tefillah for somebody else, if you think about it, is really difficult to understand. Hashem can't be bought off. You've got for yourself. So we know. Tefillah works. What do you see? You've got for somebody else. He's him and I'm me. How can I dive for him? My tefillah helps him. The Sam Sefer says a tremendous finish. He says it really doesn't work. You really can't dive for somebody else. So why do we do it? He says the reason we do it is because when we hear about a tzara, somebody else's tzara, a tzara, a yachid, a tzara, a rabbin, 
It's supposed to pain us and hurt us to the extent that we're in such pain, we're davening for ourselves now. We're not just davening for him. That means you have to feel it. It has to bother you. And then once you're davening for yourself, HaKadosh Baruch allows you to daven for the entire situation. But some services, that's the only reason it works. Sefer Chassidim says, it's an important Sefer Chassidim to remember because many people daven and daven and daven, they don't see any results. So why am I wasting my time? So the Sefer Chassidim says that a person davens for a tzara layalainu, even though it looks like it didn't work, he should keep on davening. Every tefillah is put in a safety deposit box. And if he or his children or his grandchildren or his great-grandchildren ever need this tefillah, Hashem will take it out of the CD and apply it. It's an amazing deal. Talk about an investment. So here we're talking about a situation, Loyalainu, nobody should have children, Enoch in jail. But everybody has a pickle, everybody has a tzara. Sefer Chassidim says, daven for everybody else and you're putting money in your own account. We need a little bit of initiative to get us going. Chavaz Chaim has a marshal. I think it brings us down in the safer. And we have this problem at Tfilah all the time. Shemonesra gets off to a wonderful start in the beginning because we just started. So we're not in Miami yet. We're not in Eretz Yisrael. We're not on the moon. Our mind is on the paper. But the first bracha, the first bracha, Kavon is ma'ake, so everybody tries. Then we get to the second bracha. No, we're about to turn the pace. We have to know what page we're on. That also gets a little siyat Then we get to Atachainen, and these, the first brachas are easy because it's about us. Atachainen, Hashem, give me the brains to succeed in business and to learn and to help people and to know what to do in life. Atachainen. Hashivenu, give us cheshek to learn. These are brachas that personally mean a lot to every benter. Slachlonu. Oh, slachlonu. Everybody knows what Averis happened between Shachar to Mincha. And believe it or not, even if you have a 10 minute break between Mincha and Mairav, it's amazing how much Lashon Hara you can get in Layalainu. So every Tvila has a Slachlan, and people wonder, why am I saying Slachlan? I said it 10 minutes ago. That's right, things happen. No, Rifainu, who doesn't know somebody needs a Rafur? Barach Aleinu gets top billing, no, that's money. Shmonasrei is going pretty well, Ad Khan. Then we get into all sorts of brachas, and truth be told, we're not quite sure what they're doing in here. To cop a shayfer is something about a shayfer. I'm not sure what it is, it's something about Eretz Yisrael. And we get to later brachas, Asamadavu, Shlaim Yercha. We know what the word means, but we somehow lose some of our cheshek. And why is that? The answer is, it's not about us. It's about the royal we. The royal we? No, I'm just a cog in the great wheel. I'll let somebody bigger than me daven for the gula. I should daven for the gula. Shem's going to listen to me for the gula. What shaykh is that? Yushalayim? They've been fighting over Yushalayim for thousands of years. I'm not going to change anything. My own personal Yeshua. I need some more brains. I need a mechila. I need a panasa. I need a refuel. Okay. That I can deal with. Davin. That's Samar David. David knows he wants to come. And Eliyahu knows he wants to come. And all the Gazelim know he wants to come. They don't need me. That's the most people. And most people, then they find themselves all of a sudden. They're in Miami. They're all, who knows where they are. And they wake up and uh, somebody's clapping. Uh, they're up to Kedusha already or wherever they're holding. And then he realizes that uh, he lost it. So how do we improve on this? Chavetz Chaim says a marshal about a Ben Melech who was asked to leave the palace because he wasn't a good boy. And he left the palace and he was out on his own in exile and he was having a rough time. He didn't have what to eat, didn't have panasa. And one day his father comes by with his whole royal entourage, with his chariot and he pushes his way through the crowd and he falls to his father's feet and he says, Ta, I need some bread. Somebody was standing there and said, Shaitan. 
Finally get to meet your father. You finally get to put in a request. And you ask for a slice of bread. Shaita, why don't you ask to be brought home? Ridiculous thing. Ask for a slice of bread. You can do so much better. The Chavaz Chaim says that when we dive in for an individual tzara, we're like the prince asking for a piece of bread. The reason we have these tzaras is because we're in Golis. So instead of focusing only on our individual needs, if you realize when you say, you realize you're asking Akash Baruch to solve the entire problem. So if Hashem solves the entire problem, He'll solve your problem also. So what do you lose? Problem is, we all view life with our own myopic view of things. Everything is very self-centered. So we can't worry about the klal. Here's the trick to worry about the klal and know you're worrying about yourself. And many people know there's a person in jail. A lot of people have sorrows. What does that have to do with me? And the answer is, is that the Chavaz Chaim's whole message for Tefillah is that everything has to be Belash Rabbim. Everything has to be for the klal. Because if you ignore the important parts of Tefillah, and Hashem says, look, you're davening for a yachid for yourself. I got bigger things to worry about. Not that Chas Hashem will ever ignore the yachid. But Hashem appreciates Kaviyocho when a person is tzibur minded and has in mind for other people. It gives Hashem the greatest nachas, and that's why he appointed Gidon. The greatest nachas when people look to defend and create schusim and malam schus on other people. The biggest appreciation you get from HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the form of getting your tzibur's answered. The problem is, there are many parts of tefillah that either we don't know exist or we're not focused on. And I'd like to read to you, anybody here was at my Shabbos, a Golod I'm going to repeat something that I mentioned there, although I'm going to go into a different angle. Because I didn't have time during the drosha to go into the Pratim. Somebody who apparently is a bit of a late, I'll give him credit, he has a, a good sense of humor, the only problem is he's a bit worked. The name of the list is the top ten most popular skip parts of davening. And he goes from number ten to number one to keep the suspense. I hold he shouldn't have written it. Once he wrote it, I think we have a lot to learn from it. I'm not going to read all ten. I'm going to read to you number eight on the list. I'm going to skip around. Number eight. Bruch Shemei before Kriya Satera. And he gives a commentary on each category to show why people skip it. And he says, under Bruch Shemei, before Kriya Satera, my Aramaic isn't what it used to be. Which is um, not an excuse because we have English Siddurim. Why do people not focus on Bruch Shemei besides the fact the Aramaic is hard? You realize what you're missing? The end of Bruch Shemei. The whole thing is from the Zaire, by the way. And it's a very, very important to It happens to be if you happen to be Sephardi, they don't say it, I believe, during the week. They're different when when to say it, we're not to say it. I'm not trying to change anybody's minute. I'm just trying to make you aware of some of the excerpts of what's in these feelings. The very last part of Bishamei, probably the most important feeling you could say during the week. Give me a cheshek to learn. Without a cheshek to learn, you're dead in the waters. Nothing is going to help. Your Shemaim is not going to help. Nothing's going to help. Give me everything I need, not necessarily everything I want, and everything the Klai Yisrael needs. 
You have an opportunity in one line to ask for Limanat Torah, to ask for all your Trochim and for the Trochim of Klai Israel. In one line. And most people peter out by the end because the Sefer Torah is all over the bim already. Number six. This is really annoying. The second Yukum Purkin on Shabbos morning. The second, not the first. What does he have against the second? So obviously this fellow, can't, Taka, can't read Aramaic. Because if you don't know what the difference between the first and the second is, then you never read it. And if you read it, you don't understand it, you never got English did it. I suggest you get yourself an art school. If you look at Yukum Purkin, first one talks about everything we need in life. and Arichas Yamim and Brius and Panasa, everything, all the important things. First one is the request for all the Tamil Chami and the Rashivas, the Rabban and the leaders and their Tamidim. Top of the Torah, they put that first. And the second one, which this fellow decided that everybody likes to skip. The second one talks about everybody else. Now, I don't know when the last time you concentrated, you can pork, you can pork and people often skip. It gets lost in the shuffle. They're putting the Sederm back, they're getting the Sederm out, they're putting the Chamashim back. And uh, they're trying to find their seat. They're trying to hop in the rest of the conversation before they, the guy gives another clap. All sorts of things going around the show. So by the time you wake up, the guy's already singing That wakes everybody up. Second, Yerkemporkin. Yerkemporkin in Shemaya, you all know the words. Now people skip this, but I know. I guess certain people I don't want Must be lots of people don't like Parnassah. People hate money. Siyata Deshmaya. Without that, nothing goes. Bayez Gufa. Brius. With everything, Brius, if it's missing, doesn't help. Nora Good eyesight. I assume that means figuratively as well. Zara Chaya Vikayama. Healthy children. Zara Dilayisog Vidilayifto and Pisca Meyaraisa. This is one of the few chances in davening we get to daven Beferish for our children. Have a tlach on learning. Beferish. There's a tefillah they handed out. To say, Everish it's a very important tefillah. It can be said all year round as well. You have to daven for Hatzlacha, not only their Hatzlacha in Gesund and in Panasa, primarily the Hatzlacha in Yerushalayim and learning. Goes on with all the brachos. This is on his list of the top ten things that people choose to skip. Totally, I'm assuming, out of ignorance. Number four. Anna Bakayah during Kabbalah Shabbos. Now he has an explanation. He has an explanation for everything, as a matter of fact. Anna Bakayah, he says, if you were really supposed to say it, the Sidurim would have it in normal size print. <laughs> a good Kasha. A good Kasha. But uh, a Kasha and a Maisa. You have no idea how holy this tree is. He says, he's not finished yet. Extra credit here for annoyingly invoking the Miami Boys Choir classic to the words in a just audible hum before moving on seamlessly to L'Chodadi. Which means, if you're going to skip it, at least fake it to let everybody think that you didn't skip it. Anabakayach. Taka gets lost. These people are sitting down and they'll be shuffling their chairs. Things get lost. Anabakayach. Again, there's nothing personal here, and that, I think, is the real problem, not because people are sitting down. It's because they read it once, and there was a nice tefillah, a very deep tefillah, a lot of vinyanam, a pikabola. 
Talks about Kabbal readers. I'm chod. No, I got a dime for Klai They got big people, bigger than me, dying for Klai I don't got a dime for people sitting in jail. I don't got a dime people in a distro. Not for me. It has nothing to do. It doesn't do anything for me. Jehovashem Reim, Barchem Taharim, the entire Klai Again, people think I got enough problems going to the mikvah in the morning, waking up five minutes early. I got to worry about being matir klayso. It doesn't hit home, unfortunately. Shabbosenu kabel shmatakasenu. These the tefillahs. And by the way, unfortunately, this fellow is right. It just I think he's being a bit too sarcastic. He's right. These things do get lost in the shuffle, and it's because we have to refocus on what we're trying to do with tefillah. Are we in it for ourselves, or are we trying to help others? List goes on to number two. Virachom on Mondays and Thursdays. His comment. For those who just can't seem to get enough Tachanun, there's this twice-weekly special. Now, I think that comment is uh, poorly said. And basically what he's insinuating is that nobody really pays too much attention to Tachanun in the first place. And it's already enough on a Wednesday and a Friday when you're trying to get to work. And all of a sudden on a Monday and a Thursday and it goes on and on and on and on. You all know Virachom. I'm just going to quote some excerpts. Chusa Hashem al-Amcha. No, Chusa Hashem al-Amcha. It's the same problem. I'm not worried about the Amcha. I'm worried about me. Let Hashem worry about Amcha. Al-Titein na'chalascha l'cherpa limsha bo'goyim. Habed na'rachem na'l-Amcha mehera l'man shemecha. Rachamecha rabim Hashem al-Akena chut rachem v'ashiyat son marisecha. Nebuch would like son were being slaughtered. Anybody here in Flappish feel like anybody being slaughtered? Baruch Hashem. Things are quiet. Should continue that way. Hard for us to identify with this. Problem is, how many suicide bombers do we need to say this with Kazan? How many? How many do we have to wake up and realize that there's somebody beyond the Dalai Ramas and people riding in jail and there are people getting blown up and that people need a Yeshua and a Rafua? How many service does it take? Are we worried about the Chil Lashem? When you didn't suffer, when things go wrong, it's a Chil Lashem. It's a chasern and covered shemayim. That's why in Avrachamim we ask Hakadosh Baruch Hu to do something which sounds very un-Jewish. We ask Hakadosh Baruch Hu to take nakama le'einenu, that all the goyim who are rishayim should be punished for what they did. We're not usually brought up to think nakama as a positive midah. We usually taught this a terrible midah. It usually is. All of a sudden over here, the entire Avrachamim is nakama, 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 nakama. So why are we asking for nakama? Yes, let's go back to Israel. Live happily ever after. We have to catch all the Nazis. That's necessary. The answer is yes. It's a chil Hashem when Jewish blood is cheap. And the people who are spilling Jewish blood aren't caught. That's a chil Hashem. It's a kiddush Hashem when the kama is done in front of the people who are part of the tzara. Think of this. You have to know this when you read Avraham. That's the entire Avraham. They're talking about taking the kama for all the people who were killed. Let's not take the kama less than lovo. They should be punished and we'll never know about it. We want to see it. That's considered a kiddush Hashem. With the right intentions. Shmuel and Avi came to kill our God after Shaul didn't kill him. The Pasuk gives a very gory, graphic description of how he killed him. Why is the Pasuk so graphic? The answer is, that's a Kiddush Hashem. Not to do it because you like the sight of blood. Shmuel and Avi said, to get rid of all the Rashaim and to bring back Kavit Shemayim. Why do you do that? The answer is, people have to see that there's justice in the world. And if you have this in mind, Buracham will run a lot smoother. Every time we get clapped, it's a chisar and a kavat shamayim. 
It's all up to you, and we're telling Kosh Baruch Hu, it's good for your name to rescue us. And the people who don't like this twice-weekly twice special are missing this entire focus. Number one. I'll read to you the entry and then his comment. The Shir Shal Yaim on Wednesday. Listen to his comment. Talk about a midweek crisis. Why can't every day be Tuesday? <laughs> now, so the man's got a point. People have his mental block. The Shir Shayam is twice the size of the Shir Shayam on Tuesday, on Wednesday. More than twice. It's a, it's a very big capital of people. Every, people got to work for a living. People want to go out the door. They think this 20 seconds they save is going to get them a raise. So people are running out the door. Let me share something that I noticed about the Shir Shayam on Wednesday for the uninitiated. Some of these cooking hopefully should not sound new, but they might. It talks about Nakama. Again, the Tzad of all these feelers is, what does Nakama have to do with me? You want to take Nakama in the game? Just send me safely to Yitzhak and the Mashiach. Well, let everybody else take Nakama. I'm just didn't shooting anybody. It has nothing to do with me. Kel Nakama Hashem, Kel Nakama Safiya. You know, say, Shafet Ta'aretz. Hashem should come and judge everybody. And he should give all those Balagaiva what they deserve. He's given top billing. How long is it going to be a Chil Hashem Shemayim that the Rishayim are having their field day and doing whatever they want and enjoying it? Ashrei HaGever I'm skipping. Ashrei HaGever HaSherati Yisrenu Kaa Mitarizchot Yolamdenu This Pasuk is quite telling if you think of Jonathan Pollard. Ashrei HaGever HaSherati Yisrenu Kaa Somebody has Leilena with Sarah. And he used the tzara and mitarot to lamdenu. He used it to learn a lesson. When I met him, telling you, he came with a yarmulke and tzitzis. And I asked on the QT, the people I was with, because Rabbi Leonard had been there before, I said, is this for us? They meet rabbis, they put in a yarmulke. He says, no, 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 he's from. As from as one can be in a federal prison. They don't allow him to have tefillin. They don't allow him to keep a sitter. They don't allow him to keep Pesach. As from, as somebody can be in this democratic country of ours. But he's from. And he's a self made man. As I mentioned at the beginning of the year, he took the Tsarist and he says, there's something unusual going on over here. Hashem wants to wake me up and he woke up. He learned from the experience that there's more to life than the physical existence and he's going to make it through this by understanding that Hashem is in total control despite his established, as he told me a number of times in the conversation, he's not leaving one minute earlier than Hashem wants him to leave. He said that in the same sentence as we were discussing different strategies. He said, I know that all this is hevel if Hashem is not interested in letting me out. That's not a steer to establish for the Baal of Bittachon. But that's an incredible madriga. These are the tefillahs we're missing. I think we have to put a little bit of focus into these tefillahs on the klal. Now, in terms of the Ishtadlis, I'd like to mention one other idea. I'll tell you, unfortunately, when I left, I was under the impression, not knowing all the facts when I went in, when I left, I was under the impression that things were actually worse than I thought they were in terms of his chances of getting out. When I heard the political intrigue that was going on behind who wants him in and who's insistent on keeping him in, it certainly stacked against him. However, Yeshua Hashem Kehavayim, and all you need 
is one good senator who is interested in pushing this through, one good Supreme Court judge. Hashem could put it in the mind of anybody, it can happen tomorrow. And therefore we have to be doing your status. However, I will tell you that Rav Dessler has the aside, and this aside is crucial if we ever do a shtadlis for something that seems to be impossible, and you should know we do it all the time. What person in the room doesn't know somebody who had the experience themselves when Loyalainu, a parent, a grandparent, a loved one is dying, Loyalainu, was sick, and they start davening and pulling strings and calling the best doctors, and oh, doctor telling them that this is uh, impossible. If he had a foolish does anybody give up? Of course not. Because it means too much to you. So if the sakana of every year means something to you, so you try and you daven and you cry and you do and you do and you do. How's it going to work? How does it work in Shemayim? Now, Desla has an incredible yisoyim. In Parshas Noyach, it says that a number of Rishonim got together, basically the whole civilized world, 95% of them. They're going to make bricks, and they're going to build a city. A group of Apikorsen, they didn't even want to use rocks. The Farshim say, Dafka bricks, to show they don't even need Hashem's rocks. They're going to make their own bricks. That's the level of Kfir over here. And when they declare war on Akash Baruch Hu, they put a pestle on the top of the tower. No, Mamisha joke. Mamisha should laugh at this point. They're building a tower and they're going to put a, an idol on top of the tower and they're going to put a sword in the idol's hand and fight a war against the Kaibu. A bunch of simpletons, a bunch of fools. That Lachar is the Pshap. If you look at the Hemshech of the Psukim, something doesn't read. Now, what should the next part of the Pasuk be if we were writing this? Hashem said to his Basin, guys, a bunch of Rashaim, a bunch of fools, a bunch of Rabbi Christim, let's kill them on the spot or send them to China. Pasuk doesn't say that. Pasuk says something very surprising. One nation, one language, not under God, unfortunately. They started a project. Hashem says they can accomplish whatever they want and they will win this war if we don't stop them soon. What in the world does that mean? We read this parasha every year. Anybody think of this? What should have been, as Hashem said, these guys are a bunch of idiots and we're going to punish them just for wanting to do this crazy, ridiculous scheme. But of course, it's total nonsense. Hashem didn't say that. Hashem told his malachim, we better act quickly or else it's going to be out of hand and the whole world is going to come to an end. The only way to interrupt this project is we're going to have everybody talk different languages. The Chinamen won't be able to talk to the Americans and the project will fall apart. And that ended the project. No, this is very schwer. What was Hashem Kaviyachol nervous about? Kaviyachol. What's the problem over here? Uh, certainly, if any project needs quick action, this is not one of them. They have all the time in the world, but they're not doing anything. They're building a tower, they'll reach up to Shemayim, and that's it. What's the problem? So Avdeslo asked this question. Avdeslo has the aside, and there's no other way to answer this question. So this aside is Amislamitai. Avdeslo says, 
that if you have a group of people that are together with the same intentions, working on a project, and their am echal safa achas lakulam, there is an absolute sakana because whatever they want to do, they will accomplish. Because nobody is thinking otherwise. What does that mean? I'm going to read to you the words of Rav Desler. It's incredible. Bir hadavar. Hashem Yisbarach bara sa'adam kach. Created humanity. Sheretzana yucha lifal gedolus. Which means we can do whatever we want to do. Even things that are seemingly out of our grasp. Sha'arei betzalem elokim asas adam. Why is this so? Hashem created us betzalem elokim. Which means that we have a facsimile of the kachas of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Therefore, Kamesha Ratzon Hashem, who are Payol the Baris Hashem has a Machshava Kaviyachal, and that Machshava that Ratzon creates, that's how the world was created, by the Ratzon of Hashem. Me'en Kayachzeb, a facsimile of this Kayach, small facsimile, Nasan Habari La'adam, Shebet Sinai Levad Yucha Lifal Harbe. It's just an introduction. By the fact that man wants, the Ratzon itself can create a reality, or in this case, a destruction. And he explains. So you'll say, everybody in this room will get together. They'll all buy one stock. Let's just pick IBM. And they'll all get up tomorrow morning at 9.15, 15 minutes before the opening bell. And we'll all think very hard. IBM, IBM, IBM. We'll just think, go up. We shouldn't be greedy. Just go up 20 points. Not to be greedy. Now, Dessa just said, if everybody gets together and has the same machshava, it'll work. So why is it that it doesn't work? The answer in my marshal is that you have 150 people selling shorts. <laughs> that, that's the answer. That's the real answer. The answer, you have, you might have 150 people who want the stock to go up, but you have just as many people who want it to go down. So Dessa says it's only going to work if everybody gets together on a common cause and puts their mind to it. Therefore, he says, the reason it doesn't work, so whoever's Ratzon is greater will win. That's how the Teva of the Bria was built. If all mankind would have one Ratzon, nothing can stand in their way. Therefore, Nimsa, if all of mankind would get together and decide they want to be Rishayim and all they want from this world is Eilam Azen, Gashmit, they want no Ruchnius. And they're going to build a tower to show that there should be no Ruchnius left in this world and they could take, that's the claim, all the Ruchnius and throw it out of the world. Get rid of any vestige of Kedusha and make the world void of any Ruchnius. And they would succeed. And then the whole purpose of the world would cease to exist. No purpose, the world would cease to exist. So Hashem said they will succeed if we let them go unchecked. And therefore we have to step in and stop the project. Not that Hashem is afraid of anybody. Hashem said the whole purpose of the world is to have some Kedusha. If they drive all the Kedusha away, just like you could drive Tuma away, you could drive Kedusha away. And if they all decide, and this is the entire civilized world, except for Abmavinu and Ninveh, the only other exception, and the entire civilized world wants Pe'echad, that they decided they want no hand in Ruchnius at all. Nothing. Lachain, listen to this end of the chat, it's Haflodic, it fits in so well. Lachain, Gazer Hashem, Shri'olam, forever and ever, till the end of time, Lachain, Gazer Hashem, Shri'olam, forever and ever, till the end of time, 
From now on, Hashem made a new Gzaira by making different languages and different nations. The nations of the world will never, ever be able to agree on something. That it's A, a Sakana for Yidin if they all agree on something. And B, it's a Sakana for themselves. They'll all agree to get rid of any vestige of Kedusha and get rid of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And the Avdi Avadazar at the time, can you imagine if all, they were all Avdi Avadazar, with the Tkufa, and they had different nations, they couldn't agree, but they never sat down together, they hated each other. This was a Gezerah min Shamayim. we used to thinking of Migdal Bavah as a one-time punishment. Avdesla says, no, this punishment now set the stage for all future wars and Sikhsuchim and Masoikis in the world. That had a side benefit for Klai Yisrael. That Klai Yisrael always has a place to run, so when the Romans are trying to kill them, the Parthians protect them. And when the Parthians turn on them, they can run to Europe. It has served us well, it's part of the master plan. But the idea over here is simply to have human beings never get together so they can't destroy all the moral content of the entire universe. And that's why Hasham said, It can never have peace on a worldwide scale. Hashem will never let that happen. The good news is, of Desla ends off, When all the Goyim finally recognize the whole purpose of the world is for Kedusha, they will never make an attempt like that again. It's interesting, we used to thinking that when the Mashiach comes, the byproduct will also be peace. He says, no, the first you have to fix up the roof is Once they're all makarakosh baruchu, then Hashem will allow there to be peace. The chicken has to come before the egg. It's a fascinating idea. And the concept over here, that whatever you want to accomplish will be done if everybody gets together and focuses on the same thing. We all know stories of people lifting cars to get children who are pinned on their cars out from under the car. They can never do that again. They never did it before. The answer is they have to lift up that car because the child didn't suck on it. We have kaychus we're not aware of. And we have to do is first find the kaychus, focus on the kaychus, and then get together and do it as a tzibur. So yes, are the odds stacked against them? Yes, the odds are stacked against everybody in Klai Yisrael. The odds are stacked against everybody in Eretz Yisrael as well. They never stopped us before. I think the lesson we have to draw from this personal visit from this from Desla is that the sooner we get together in the achdus and the focus of what we want to daven for and who we want to daven for, Soon we'll see Taka, everybody be Makir, the Kavit Shamayim. I'm Bizarre to see Mashiach Sukkanim, Mehavi Amenu. Amen. To order other tape Shirim of Rabbi Varna, please call 718 338 2818 or mail request to 1171 Ocean Parkway, Apartment 4K, Brooklyn, New York 11230 and ask for our most up to date brochure. Many audio Shirim are now available on CD as well. Please ask for CD pricing. Most Shiram are now on video. To request a video for your community, please contact 718-382-6269. You may log on to our website at www.touristream.com. That's T-O-R-A-H-S-T-R-E-A-M for a list of all the available Shiram to date. To request speaking engagements from Rabbi Viner, please call Mr. Frechter at 718-377-5304. If you would like to share in the Zuchus of Harbatzas Torah by sponsoring a series of shirim or a video showing, please call 718-382-6269.